recent spiritual conversation he's had with someone who's a seeker or a, someone who doesn't necessarily believe uh, that Christ is the Lord. Uh, just tell us, how, tell us about that recent conversation. There's probably many, but pick one. Um, yeah, I mean, I could go a lot of different directions with that question. But uh, um, the person that I've talked to him about, I, one of my night job... Um, another fun thing about being in, being an entrepreneur is that sometimes you need uh, a night job. So my <laughs> night job is uh, I'm a server at a restaurant in Pasadena, and um, uh, and uh, man, there's no better way to really <laughs> connect with unbelievers than, than serving. Um, and so I there's you know several other servers that are there, and um, one in particular I've gotten to really. Um, Share the share the gospel with, and really talk about um, just all that stuff. Uh, she is a um, uh, she's a hardcore. Um, well, put it this way, she's a big fan of Richard Dawkins. Uh, yeah, I know. Hey, you know what? I respect him. I respect him. At least he's talking about it. Um, uh, he's a, he's like the premier atheist right now, who like writes like writes books called the God Delusion and things like that. Um, and then she's an anthropologist, so she's really into origins. and, and um, But uh, I guess... Yeah, tell us we, like how you started that spiritual conversation, maybe, or one particular well, time. One, or something. one thing that I think is kind of cool is that all of my coworkers think that I'm some kind of other type of Christian that, like believes these weird things and that is like this new like this like cutting edge kind of secret sect really cool christian because he doesn't fit the mold um, of what they think well, yeah all right i like that i like that but i'm not i'm just like you guys and, and you are too the, the, here's here's what i realized guys is the days of going and getting to share Christ with an untrue, genuinely unreached people group are, are not over completely, but they're on their way out, if not very close to over. Everybody has heard of Christians. Everybody has heard of Christ. He has been marketed well. Unfortunately, not by us, right? He's been marketed really well by the deceiver. And so, I mean, even, if, you know, people in pick some country that's kind of cut off, like China, I mean, they've heard of Christians, right? They know. Like, it's not like they don't have... Their internet may be monitored, but it's not completely shut off. They know the main world religions, and, and they may not know the gospel. No, of course they don't. But no, they have they concepts, right? Of um, something. And so, no, they. But they. There are. The, the, I'm being very general here, but people think that their their definition of Christianity is religion, um, and it's it's just you know doing um, either believing the right thing or doing the right thing in order to get the right thing. Right, and they and here's the thing, that is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Right. So the problem is we Christians get sucked into the tree of knowledge of good and evil a lot too, and so they actually do see that from Christians, but even more so they see it from just the media and the way it's portrayed. And so um, I think the one thing, the two things that I've, um, well, the one thing that I've done is um, I just intentionally say things to shock the paradigm they have so that I can give them a little bit different one. Um, because the truth is, the story... So like a couple of years ago, I was praying all the time, God, show me the story, show me the story. You remember that probably all the time. Just you know, reveal the story to me. Because um, I really believe that if we get the story, we will only then be able to get our place in the story. And um, the story is amazing. It's the most amazing story 
you could ever hear. Um, and it will capture you. Uh, so reframing Christianity, you know, there's a lot of, there's different ways to do it. But even if you just want to talk about life and spiritual life and like really like not eternal life, like live forever, but like the higher life, Washington calls it the highest life, um, that will that will catch people. But for me, the romance, I mean, people love romance. And uh, I know I'm a guy, a married guy talking about this, but the the. Um, you know, the immortal one pursuing the mortal uh, and, and everything that he's done to capture and woo. I mean, it, anyway, and I don't mean to do this, preach to you guys right now, but it's, it's an amazing, amazing story. And so I'll say things like, um, I hate religion, you know, and they're like, good what? It's good you hate religion. Yeah. And I'll go, yeah, and honestly, I think that, and I'll say things like, yeah, religion's terrible because... You know, I mean, the worst lies are the ones that are 80% true and 20% false good, and 90% yeah. true and 10% false. Those you writing are the this lies down? Really you writing, you write this down? <laughs> so I just, I just say things that really shock them, and then they're like, you know, and then they have questions, and then they want to ask more. And then the other thing I do is this. I don't, um, I really, really will just give in on everything but the essentials. Because my goal is not to be right, right? My goal is to represent love and represent Christ to them. So you don't get on some random argument about something. Yeah, I mean, people right now, they want to talk about evolution. They want to talk about homosexuality. And my point is, not, I don't want to sit there and prove to them that homosexuality is sin. I don't compromise on it. But that's not my, no, that's, that's not where they're at right now. I'm, I'm trying to bring them to Christ, not convince them that I'm right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, on a lot of things right Good. now, if they bring up homosexuality, I'm just like, yeah, you know what, the church has really mishandled it. They've really been um, unloving and... Um, you know, and yes, that church in Florida is terrible. You know what I mean? Like I just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, I, like, I, and that's just me. But I, I just really, um, and I never. I'm not going to compromise the truth. They don't want that either. They want something real. Right. But um, I will. Uh, I will just concede, concede, and concede, and try win home my points. The the, the issue that's in, that really matters here. So like with this one girl, um, uh, just really talking about. Um, love and how you can't have love without a person and, and really trying to just um, and really and it's cool to, you know she's with her real being, philosophical yeah, she, she's gone in the time we talk she's gone from being a hardcore I will and, yeah, and even even evolution like I'll be like cool cool evolution might be true that's fine you know and let's talk about God let's talk about he wants a relationship right. with you and then but it's a focus in, on Jesus but, a lot of exactly, times right? but in this whole in this whole um, you know, conversation. I've been, you know, she's two days ago. She's like, yeah, I've really been doubting, you know, pure macroevolution now. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome, you know. Like, but it's not there because not because I want to win that argument. Okay, that's not the argument I care about. If she meets Jesus, he'll straighten that stuff out. Totally. You know? So anyway. totally. No, absolutely. But the fact that you're getting her to ask questions about her worldview and shift over. Um, uh, what was one of the things? Uh, turn that thing back on. Uh, what was one of the things you were? Well, first of all, I remember one time you were telling me this is an ongoing conversation. That's really important to know. I'm using him as my example. Uh, number two, one time you were telling me you guys went out, grab a drink or whatever, and uh, that was a bulk. We did. I had a beer with her. Yeah. <gasps> you among, did. What? Among other people, it wasn't just her. Did you? Never mind. You could have, did you turn? Did one. you take the water and then turn it into wine first? 
Because that would have been no. I'm just but, okay. Just, you know, so never, um, no, but you, so a bulk of it was that long conversation where you were willing to listen, ask yeah, questions, yeah, yeah. dialogue. And what did she say to that friend? I remember because I, I was just oh, thinking this yeah, while you're talking. Yeah. Her friend comes up, so now it's two people and Clint, and she says to her friend, um, "Yeah, just to, it's like, this is Clint. We're oh, still go ahead. in the restaurant closing. Yeah. Her friend showed up, and then um, we had been debating for like an hour about uh, truth." And, um, Whether it was absolute or that kind of thing. Yep, yep. Um, oh, and here's, the, here's a cool one that really helped because people like no absolute truth. But if you're able to separate moral, this is with someone who wants to talk about this these things. I'm not saying this, but if you want to, um, this really worked for her. I was able to, people will argue that, you know, there is no real absolute truth. And she's one of those. But I was able to, to make clear this. Actually, she does believe in truth. Um, for example, she believes that earth is round. And that it is not flat um, just because somebody, you know, lived 600 years ago and their, their life was two square miles and so it was flat to them. So we, I don't know if you guys want to hear this right now, but basically, yes, truth is relative. That's another one. Truth is relative. The earth is big. Well, compared to you and I, it's big. Relative to me, it's big. The earth is small. That's also true. Relative to the universe, it's very small. Right. So that's one I love to give in and give in and give in and then strike on the point I want to make. So I'm like, yes, truth is... That truth is, is, is relative, but it's, it's mostly what, what that really means is relational. It's dynamic. It's dynamic, yes. but there's it exists, absolute. It exists Black is context. black, white is white. Exactly, but the earth is a sphere. It really is. You can't tell me it's flat. It really is, and you know this. And so, but then I said this. I said, okay, let's separate moral truth from uh, physical truth. Because spiritual and moral things is where people really and then I said, but, yeah. but, but I said this, the reason you don't believe in moral truth is because of your understanding of, um, because of your understanding of physical truth. Because you believe, in a sense, pure naturalism, that there is no uh, God, then really, honestly, if I didn't believe in God, I wouldn't believe in moral truth either. At least you actually follow your own line of reasoning. And I, yep. I always compliment you. Compliment, you know, I, I really respect Honor. that. You follow your own Write line that down. of reasoning. Respect. Because um, you're right. If you if you believe that that um, there is no outside influence on this natural realm, then you're right. Therefore, there is no moral truth, and the people that use it and and so and another thing you want to agree with all the time is people will point out all the the harms that man has done with religion. Of course, yes, true, true, true. It's true, yep. right? Don't have to defend it. It's true, like fallen man using the tree of the knowledge of good and evil yeah, there exactly. of course it's going to be bad fruit so i mean yeah. the tree of knowledge of good and evil is bad fruit and so the tree of religion will always produce bad fruit um so then she said oh okay sorry i got off um, sorry. yeah yeah so her friend starts to engage in the conversation and she stops her friend says just so you know just so you know he's a lot of what his stuff he has is really good he's not just one of those religious people that um because she was basically told her friend, don't judge him because he's a Christian, uh, because they're Hilarious. both in the same camp together. In the basically, religious people. he's a Christian, but he's not dumb. Yeah, yeah. that's basically what she said. <laughs> yes, yes, he is a Christian, but it's okay he's to listen to, to him. Say. He's not stupid. Yeah. That's, so she like stopped him, and then we, and that's when we, then we continued the conversation. You know, servers get done at midnight, so then we, there's not really any place to go get coffee at midnight. So then we went to a place and, and continued the conversation for another hour and a half or so. But it was cool. Thanks, Clint. You all appreciate it. So that, that was just, I wanted you to see a, a real life example and I wanted to kind of hash some of that out because that kind of thing is happening all over our church 
and you're that kind of person as well. You don't have to be an intellectual like Clint or something like that. Don't, don't necessarily take that from the example, but take the fact that he's real, honest, willing to say, I don't know everything, engaging in conversation, dialoguing, going down the journey with people, etc., etc. So there's so many things you could take away from that. And that's really what this series is about that we're going to dive into right now. And just for the next couple of weeks, talk about something called more ready than you know. So let's go ahead and pray. We'll collect the giving and stuff. And we'll dive right into the word. So, Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that you have saved us. We are yours. We are filled with your spirit. And you have given us the privilege, Lord, of sharing your gospel and reaching people for you. Lord, we want to be a people that know you and make you known, Lord. We want to be a people who really are changed by you and then reproduce that transformation in others. And so, Lord, we open our hearts today and say, Lord, use us. Here we are. Send us. Equip us and empower us today. Give us wisdom. Give us skill, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And like I said, we want to talk about this uh, subject of really personal evangelism, how to start conversations with people, how to start spiritual conversations, how to lead people to the Lord who are in your sphere of influence. And I believe what the Lord is saying to us, uh, I started talking about this last week, is that you are more ready than you know, you are more ready than you realize to engage people in the kind of spiritual conversations that would open their hearts and minds, just like Clint was describing. But even more than that, I want you to understand something, that people are more ready than you realize, and that we realize to be engaged in that conversation. They're more ready than we realize to move along that process, and they're more ready than we realize to accept Jesus as their Lord. And so look at, let's look at John. I want to show you some things in the Scriptures. But in this uh, series, I want to give you tools. I want to give you stories as well. And we'll kind of do this for a few, few weeks. But let's look at some things here in, in, in John. Uh, John, starting in verse 35 through 38. John 35 through 38. Jesus uh, is talking to His disciples and He says this. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, labored and you have entered into their labors." Focus in with me on verse 35, John 4:35. Listen to what Jesus says again. Do not or do you not say? Don't you say there are still 4 months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. For they are already white for harvest. What is Jesus saying? Jesus has jo- just got done uh, talking to a Samaritan woman about himself. He, he, is not, he is not talking about farming right now, right? I mean, most of us were like reading this, we're like, harvest, ripe, fruit, sow, reap, what? You know? 
What is he talking about? He's not talking about farming. He's not talking about fields. It's a metaphor for people, right? And he's just got done talking to this Samaritan woman who is a little rough around the edges. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is sitting by a well. He's thirsty. He's hungry. Here comes this woman in the heat of the day with no one else around her. This is not normal. She'd be normally walking up in the beginning of the daytime when it's like not hot. And she'd be walking with other women. No, no. She's by herself in the heat of the day going to get some water from a well. Something's just not right about that picture. Jesus is sitting there thirsty. He looks to her and says, hey, could I have a drink of water? The first thing out of her mouth is, why are you asking me for water? I'm a Jew. I'm a, I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a Jewish man. Right. First of all, men don't normally talk to women in public. And second of all, Jews and Samaritans, they don't like each other. So her first thing out of her mouth is, why are you talking to me? Little rough around the edges, would you say? Right. He just got done talking to this woman who came off a little edgy, a little standoffish, a little rough around the edges. And what does he say? Well, if you knew who was asking you, you would ask him for a drink of water. Yeah, real relevant, Jesus. That sounds like something we would teach in an evangelism course. Right. You ask for water. She says, why are you asking me for water? Then you say, I am the water of life. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's like me going up to a coworker and saying like, Hey, dude, can you grab... Or no, no, no. They, they, hey, hey, brother, can you get me a soda? If you knew what I had, you would ask for the true soda, and I would give it to you. I mean, honestly, honestly, we like to, like, spiritualize this story, make Jesus out to be some relevant, really effective relational evangelist. No. I mean, he is. Let me, what did he do? He just went for the jugular. He just got right underneath her skin. Here's this woman who's like, why are you talking to me? And she's like, and he's like, you want some real water? You know what I'm saying? She goes hard. He goes hard back. You know what I'm saying? You're going to push? I'm going to push you back. No. And he just goes right at it. And he's able in the matter of minutes to take this woman from being standoffish to culturally standoffish to all of a sudden having this spiritual conversation with her. He... He throws out a gift of the Spirit, right? He has this word of knowledge, like, yeah, the man you're shacking up with isn't even your husband. All right, he goes right for that. Jesus, you're not supposed to say that. That's not very sensitive. You know what I'm saying? He's like, honestly, if, if Jesus was in our evangelism courses, we'd be like, now, Jesus, that's just not the right way to do it. You know, we have a lot. It's weird how we would really like to tell Jesus what not to say. You know what I'm saying? You know, Jesus, it's not a very good idea to tell someone they're a dog. You remember that story, right? The Canaanite woman, right? She's Gentile. Oh, Jesus, heal my daughter. Well, it's just not okay to throw the bread to the dogs, you know? We called her a dog, you know? No, you know, it's like, Jesus, that's not very relevant, you know? It's not very relevant. Jesus says a lot of things like that, but obviously he knows what he's doing. He, he knew how to get to it, right? I know you're thinking I'm dissing our Lord. No, I'm not dissing... He gets her onto the spiritual conversation. All of a sudden, she brings up what? Well, you, you, Jews, you, Jews talk, you Jews say that the worship is at Jerusalem, but we say it's over here on this mountain of Samaritan. Samaria, right? she, he gets her into the spiritual conversation. What's the first thing that comes out of her mouth? Religious controversy. You guys say this, we say that, right? What is, what is she trying to do? Get into an argument about religious things. What does he do? Totally avoids it goes around the subject and hits at the root issue. He goes, let me tell you, the Father is looking for those who would 
worship him in spirit and in truth. It's exactly what Clint said, actually. He, he went right for true spirituality instead of religious, right? Totally cuts against the grain of what she thinks about Jews, what she thought about religion, what she thought God was looking for. Where do we worship? Which mountain do we worship on? She was, she was, she was disillusioned and frustrated about institutions and religion that was controlling people and causing people to fight, right? Sound like our culture? Yeah. Jesus goes right to the heart of it and says, no, the Father's looking for people who worship in spirit and in truth. She's like, oh. She gets drawn in right then. She's totally pulled in. Because he goes right for true spirituality, for the thing that she was hungering and thirsting for. He goes right for it. Okay, what's, what's the point in verse 35? Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. What Jesus is saying is he's talking to his disciples and he's saying, you guys talk a certain way. I love it when Jesus does this all the time. He goes, you say, but I say, right? He loves to contrast what we say, how we think, how we perceive a situation, how we interpret the scriptures. He'd often say that, right? Well, you guys say the scripture says this, but I say this. What was he doing? Was he like misinterpreting the Bible? No, he was rightly interpreting the scriptures. He was going against religious concepts about the scriptures. And what he's doing to his disciples right now, he's saying, man, let me tell you something. You guys say, ah, it's already four months for the harvest. But I say, the harvest is ripe. See, he, Jesus just got done talking to a woman that was standoffish, edgy, and everyone would have thought, that, yeah, that girl's, not, that girl's not ready for the gospel. Well, yeah, I just, I just gonna, I'm just not even going to start that conversation, right? And in a few minutes, this woman ha- ran off to go find the rest of the people in her village and literally in the next few minutes after Jesus is going to have this conversation about ripe harvest and all that stuff, the whole village is going to come out and talk to Jesus. And they're going to, they're now interested in having a conversation with Jesus. He spends two days talking to them about himself, about showing them the scriptures and two days in a dialogue with these people who are totally interested And he's saying to his disciples, see, if you guys ran into that girl, you'd be like, yeah, she's just a little grumpy. I ain't going to touch that. See, if you ran, he's Jesus saying, if you ran into that girl, you'd be thinking, no, 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 she's not really interested because, you know, she's Samaritan and we're Jewish and there's this cultural barriers and she just doesn't even look like she's in a very good mood. She's not really even a talkative mood. She's kind of edgy. Jesus is saying that if you guys were the ones doing this, You guys would have totally missed this opportunity because his disciples are walking around just like many of us walk around and say, yeah, people aren't really very interested. People don't really want to talk about spiritual things. People don't really want to come to my church. Yeah, these are Samaritans. They're not really into that, you know, that kind of thing. We're Jews and they're Samaritans. And we think there are cultural barriers and religious barriers and language barriers. And we don't want to be irrelevant. We don't want to we don't want to weird people out. And we're afraid and we we don't want to right. We don't want to be super spiritual and we don't want to be misunderstood. We have all these barriers and Jesus. Jesus says, you guys say there's four months to the harvest. And I'm not being corrective now, but honestly, you say there's four months to the harvest. Almost every single one. Of, I hear it all the time coming out of Christians' mouths. Well, yeah, people, 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 people you know, my, my brother, my sister, or no, 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 I know, Dave, because you know, just, they told me they don't want to talk about it, or this, that, and the other thing. And I hear it all the time. Yeah, yeah, people don't really want it. Or people say it about church, you know. No, they wouldn't really want to come to our church. I mean, come on, Dave, you... I mean, look what happened just a minute ago, right? You know, <laughs> right? 
And people are trying, literally, and out of our mouth, out of Christians' mouth, we sound just like these disciples, and Jesus is saying, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. You say there's four months to harvest. You say people aren't ready. You say people aren't right. You say people aren't really uh, ready to engage in that. Jesus says, but I say. Now, what, it, what happens when Jesus says, but I say? That means you're wrong, and he's right. That means you're missing something, you guys. And I say something different because I think differently than you. I talk differently than you. And I get different results than you. Yeah? That's why Jesus was so effective. That's why Jesus, bam, hit people hard sometimes because he knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly what was going on inside people's hearts. And literally, Jesus has this super effective time of ministry talking to this Samaritan woman. And then, like I said, two days of people coming and dialoguing with Jesus. And after two days, many of these Samaritans come and accept Jesus and believe in him. Why? Because he was willing to spend that time with them for two days and because they were open to actually hearing. People are more ready to have a spiritual conversation with you than you would ever realize. And many of us here in this room, I know many of us are engaged. I'm not, again, I'm not being corrective because I know our church is growing, this, growing in this. Many of you are moving out. But I guarantee you, in you, there are areas in you and there's areas in me where we are not ready to have that spiritual conversation, but other people are. And other people are ready to be invited to church, but we're not ready to invite them. It's, it's, it's really actually quite sad and grievous when you have a receptive population and a fearful church. I don't know why it is. We're not even going to go into that today about fear, perceptions we have, lenses we put on, trying to protect our own self, our own reputation, selfishness. I don't know. Pick, pick one. Let the Holy Spirit search your own heart. But the reality is, right here, do not say there are only four months to the harvest. It's not, it's not ready yet. People aren't ready yet. No, Jesus says they're ripe for the harvest. And what did he say? I love this. Behold, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. Man looks at the outward appearance, but where does God look? The heart, right? When we're led by fear, when we're led by the things of the flesh, we're going to view people from our own perceptions. We approach people with preconceived notions. And we have preconceived notions about what other people, how other people view God and the church and spirituality. We have preconceived notions about what non-believers think. And it's wrong. We have painted a picture. We've allowed the enemy to paint a picture. We paint that picture by our conversations. Right? I hear it all the time. Christians sit around. Yeah, I know. Yeah, people aren't really ready. Yeah, me too. Yeah, my brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're painting a picture in our, each other's hearts that is, law, that is a lie. What does Jesus say? He says, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Is he, again, is he talking about fields? No, he's talking about people, right? Look at them. They're ripe. Is he saying that you can see it on the outside? Is he saying that you can see it by, the, you know, people, invite me to church. Please invite me to church. Are people coming up to you? How can I be saved? You show me. I mean, really, I mean, I'd love to do that one day. How do you know people are ready? When they fall at your feet and say, how can I be saved? You know what I'm saying? You know, we, we, on it, we think that means readiness, a lot of us. We think these outward things. Jesus did not look at the outward. He went right for the heart. He could see something was going on inside of them. He could see that they're asking the question. People all around us, and I'm telling you this because I know, I know some of you know this and some of you don't, but really we all need to hear this. People are literally inside saying, there's got to be more. There's got to be more to life. I don't like my life. I don't like myself. People aren't, not, I mean, not everyone is saying that, but you know what I'm saying? A lot of people, there's got to be more. 
People are longing to be engaged in a spiritual conversation with somebody who's authentic and actually knows the truth and has their head screwed on straight. They're, they're, they're longing for this. They're, but do you think they're really going to come out and say, would you please have a spiritual conversation with me? No, they're not going to do that. I'm really lo- I, I really know there's more to life, and I know that like, I'm really just messing it up. Could you please show me the way? No, first of all, they don't. Uh, nobody's going to come out, right? Would you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Would you go to somebody that you didn't know and like, just open up about the, one of the deepest, most scary things, right? Spirituality is, is deep. It's intimate. It's scary. Would you just, I'm just going to tell you exactly what's going on deep inside of me. No. A lot of what happens on the outside are things like I shared about that Samaritan woman or things that Clint came up, we talked about. The first things they're going to come up with are, I don't believe this, I don't believe that. Well, what about this? What about that? What about suffering? What about evolution? What about homosexuality? What about that controversy in the church? What about those crazy Christians? That's what comes out first. And so we think that's a smoke, that is a smoke stream. We think because that is what's outward, because that is what's, what's forthright, because that's what's on the outside and what's coming out of their mouth. We think that means they're not ready, they're not interested, I don't want to push them away. And Jesus would say, lift up your eye. Don't walk by sight. What do we walk by? Faith. We need the Word of God to paint a picture in our heart about what God sees. See, Jesus is saying, by faith, when He says, behold, lift up your eyes and look. How do you do that? You've got to look with eyes of faith. Meditate this Word. Meditate on these Scriptures and say, Lord, people are more ready than I realize. Begin to meditate on this word. Say, Lord, give me eyes of faith. Let me see into their hearts. Let me see what they're asking, what they're struggling with, what they're wrestling with. Help me to see these things. Give me eyes of faith. Let me walk by faith and not by sight. See, when we walk by sight, we're basing it on our own human reasoning, our own intuition. When we walk by faith, we're saying, Lord, this is what your word says. Right? This is what your word says. Now, uh, I don't need statistics, and I hope you don't, to prove some of this to you. We need to walk by faith on this. But let me tell you, uh, Clint's story is a perfect example of what really is the opportunity that's out there. That if somebody would just shock people a little bit, plant the seeds, be real and authentic, and engage in a spiritual conversation, they will go with you, and they'll go further than you realize. Listen to what this, this, there's a man named Tom Rayner, and he does a lot of, uh, he just, inter, he, honestly, he just interviews people who are seekers. Sometimes he'll interview people who just came to the Lord, and he'll ask them how they came to the Lord. Other times he'll interview people who are just not believers and not church growers, and specifically just, he'll ask them questions, but he'll just like let them talk. And the stuff he finds out with how people come to the Lord and, 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 and the questions people really have and the openness and the readiness of people who are non-believers, totally not what people think in the church. Totally not. And we just blow our minds away. I'll just give you a, a, a few things. He, he said one of the... Uh, there's a bunch of surprises here that he had, but I'll, let me just give you a couple. Listen to this. 90 96% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they are invited. 96% of the people that they surveyed said, yeah, yeah, I'd go if somebody invited me. Now, does that mean somebody drove, like a drive-by invite? 
hey, come to my church, you know, throw a flyer at them? Or, or, or were they talking about a friend that would say, hey, would you like to come? You're always welcome. Oh, hey, well, I'll, I'll make sure to meet you outside the front or let's go to lunch afterwards. These people said, oh, yeah, I totally go. You know, that, that, that um, even surveying people that had negative views of the church, like, like literally this same people that were surveyed, they would say things like, yeah, I mean, Christians can be judgmental or hypocritical. Uh, yeah, the church, you know, they had negative views about the church. Even among those who, were, who had a negative sense, 65% were still intrigued about church. They like had a negative impression, and yet when asked, are you curious about what like, church would be like, would you go? They were like, yeah, yeah. That was a whole other survey. It's different than this one. <clears throat> Listen to this, though. He said, but only 21% of active church goers invite anyone to church in the course of a year. I mean, again, statistics are statistics, you know, maybe a little off here and there. But that's still, that's a big deal. But listen to this, but only 2% of the church members invited an unchurched person to church. So 20% yeah, invited someone, but only 2% invited unchurched people. I'm not sharing this with you to make you feel bad, but I, I, want, I want us to see that people are more ready than we realize. Listen to this. And then very few of the unchurched... This is what they said. This was out of their own mouth. Very few of the unchurched had said someone, uh, I'm sorry, had someone share with them how to become a Christian. And Christians have not been a particularly influential, have not been particularly influ influential in their lives. Like these are people, literally, these are the same people. They're like 96% of them. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd go to church if someone invited me. Has someone invited you? No. Yeah, yeah, I have spiritual questions. In fact, I, I've seen, I, I did another, there was another survey that I read that at least 75% of people, when asked, would you, engage, would you have a spiritual conversation with a Christian, would you do it? And they said, yeah. You know, and most of them would also add it on, like things like, well, I don't want them to try to convert me, judge me, or you know, that kind of thing. But if they would respect me and have a conversation where I would be listened to and I could share my views, I would listen to them. 75%. 75%. These people in this survey are saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd go to church and I've got my questions. Oh, have you been, I mean, has a, has a Christian engaged you in that before? No. Has a Christian been influential in your life, in your spiritual life? No. I, I've, got, I've got the answer for you right now why, why the church is declining in, the, in America. I've got it. Right there, isn't it? Do, do you see what I'm saying? There is this, like, breakdown in communication. There is this misconception. We have a receptive, hungry group of people saying, someone invite me to church. You know what I'm saying? Someone engage me in a spiritual conversation. Give me a reason to believe. And we have a bunch of believers saying, no, nah, they don't really want to go to my church. No, nah, you know, yeah, I don't want to weird them out. Well, you know, yeah, they're not really open because, I mean, I remember, like, you know, they do this. They live that lifestyle. Well, you know, they're living with so-and-so. You know, they're not really ready. Or, you know, that cultural thing. Or that sin issue in their life. Or, well, you know, they told me they're an atheist. Or they told me they're a Buddhist. Or, you know. And all of a sudden we've put, we've labeled. We have misconceptions. And we have this lens of fear. I mean, literally, I think of it like, you, you ever, um, some of you probably relate to this. Uh, you ever like somebody, but you don't think they like you? But it turns out they did. That's not, I mean, I bet, I bet a lot of us would actually probably say, well, that was like my, 
how I got together with my spouse. A lot of us, right? Have you ever known friends where like he liked her and she liked him, but they didn't have a clue, right? And so the guys over here like, man, I just, I just, you know, I really like her, but you know, she likes so-and-so. And the girls over here like, I just wish that he would like me. Right? Okay. So that was like Michelle and me. No, like literally, okay, the girl liked me for like three years. Yeah, that's a favor of God right there, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, blind, blind, yeah. I mean, that's like, that's supernatural power to be blinded for that many years, you know, but um, no, 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 she liked me for a number of years. I didn't think she liked me at all. Now, I had some things where I wasn't always necessarily interested. I liked her. That whole time, I liked her, but I just wasn't really ready for a relationship. But I remember, we joke, we laugh about this all the time, too. We laugh about this all the time. See, well, first of all, I'm not necessarily the most, like, uh, suave or outgoing or anything like that. Like, I'm the opposite, okay? And, um, and so, no, I mean, we would go, like, I, would take, I took her out to lunch one time, just, like, hang out, just as friends. And I remember, like, we joke about this all the time, because she goes like this, she goes... She goes, oh, I'm just so glad we're good friends. And I totally thought that was the signal for get away from me, creep. Right? I thought that was the, like, I'm not interested signal. So I was like, oh, okay, you know. Turns out she's, like, kicking herself inside. Like, man, I can't believe I said that. You know? And we joke about that. And, 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 but what had to happen? Bottom line, at some point, you know, I'm all like trying to study with her. And she was like, dude, I just got to tell him I like him. Like, I'm all like, I'm all like, hey, like I didn't hang out with other girls. You know what I'm saying? And I'm all like, hey, let's study together. I thought she liked our other friend. I thought she liked Dan Chance. For those of you who know Dan. <laughs> and so she didn't, she was like, man, I, I just got to like, just be straight up. So she had to tell me. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, we're like that with non-believers. I mean, not weird like that, but I'm just saying like, we're like that. They're like, oh, I'm just so glad we're just friends. I mean, like, they'll say stuff, right? Throwing it out there like, like, you know, hey, you know, what, what do you, I'm just, I'm a Buddhist, you know, <laughs> oh, no, don't talk to me, right? And they, and you think that's the sign for stop, don't go any further. It's not. I mean, don't be, you know, don't be harassing and judging and all that stuff. Be like Clint. Okay, but like, we'll talk more about that. My point is that if you are a gentle, respectful, authentic, real person, living your faith out, love God, love people. By the way, that's a prerequisite. If you don't love people, keep your mouth shut. You know, if you don't live a holy life, you know, just... If you're becoming like Jesus, you know, hey, I'm on the process. He's changing me. You can be a witness in that regard. You don't have to be perfect. But my point is, yeah, if you're not being an example and if you're not loving, that's a prerequisite. That's a whole other message. But I'm talking to those of you who are real and authentic. You love people and you have something to give. You don't have to be an intellectual. You don't have to be anything. You don't have to be Billy Graham, Clint. You don't have to be anyone. Just be you. Just be you. But people put up this smokescreen. And it's literally like two people who like each other and just don't even realize it, right? And what we need is eyes of faith. And someone's got to broach the subject. Does that make sense? Like someone has to say, I like you. You know? Someone has to like go for it, okay? Well, guess who's that go- who that's going to be? That would be you. <laughs> someone's got to just go for it and start a conversation, a spiritual one. 
that would engage people, not with judging them or trying to convert them like, okay, I'm going to give you the three spiritual laws or four spiritual laws right now. You can accept Jesus right now. No, just, hey, what do you believe? Let's talk about this. Listening, talking and stuff like that. Go with me to Colossians chapter 4, real quick. Colossians 4. Um, can I sleep on anyone's couch now that I shared that? No, I'm joking. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, we'll just start in verse 2 and read a few verses. Two to six. Listen to what it says here. It says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Verse 5, notice that it says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Well, what's wisdom? Wisdom is skill, isn't it? Wisdom is that you're good at a certain thing in life. Like when you read the Proverbs, Proverbs is all about wisdom. Wisdom regarding your family and your finances and things like that. To be a wise person means that you're skillful at life. I mean, that's literally what the Hebrew word for wisdom means, to be skillful at life, to actually be good at this. And what Paul is saying here is he's actually saying walk in wisdom toward those who are outsiders. He's saying be wise about how you engage people in relationship who are not Christ followers, who are not in the church. By outsiders, he's not necessarily trying to like, you know, they're out, we're in. You know, he's not trying to do that. He's just trying to, you know, to to, to make a clear distinction here that he's saying walk in wisdom toward those who are outsiders. So what? So that you can redeem the time. Redeeming the time, meaning making the most of every opportunity. Seizing the moment. He's saying you're going to need wisdom. You're going to need skill in order to do that. And then he goes on talking about speech. Let your speech. Last time I checked, the word speech means that you opened your mouth and somebody could hear you. You know, right? It means talking, opening your mouth, having a conversation, knowing how to communicate and answer. The Apostle Paul here is saying we need skill. We need wisdom in this. See, what's the context of Colossians chapter 4? Remember that Paul is writing a letter to what? A small church in in a city called Colossae. Paul didn't even start this church. This church was planted by a man named Epaphras. Epaphras actually was, as far as we understand, was led to the Lord by Paul. So the Apostle Paul, remember, the Apostle Paul, I mean, this guy's like, you know, getting people saved, like gangbusters, going out there, planting churches, gets a church, plants a church. Okay, I'll see you guys later. You know, goes on to the next one. It's not necessarily a model for all of us, you know. What am I supposed to do? Am I, am I supposed to do that too? You know, stand up in a street corner and do that? You know, a lot of times people misunderstand that. You got like Jesus and the apostles. And they're like going at it like crazy. And we think like, not really a model I can follow, you know? 
Am I supposed to do it like that? You know, and in, in many ways we can see wisdom and skills from Jesus and the apostles. But no, what's going on here in Colossians? Paul gets Epaphras saved, starts a church planning movement in a city called Ephesus. Colossae is 100 miles uh, uh, outside of Ephesus. This man named Epaphras takes the gospel to Colossae, starts a church, gets a bunch of people to come to Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is writing to these believers in Colossians 4. And, and, and he, he doesn't say this specifically, but in other places he says this. He says, you are a light in darkness. He says, you are the first fruits for your family, your city, your nation to come to Jesus. This is God's strategy all the time. He goes and finds somebody and he says, and you and your whole household will be saved. I mean, the, the Lord is all about reaching families and cities and nations, but how does he do it? He does it by finding the first responders. He, he does it by finding the hungry ones. So Jesus and John the Baptist and the Apostle Paul and all these crazy guys who are going out and doing great things for the Lord, and we need people like that, they're finding the first responders. Well, it stinks to be the rest of you. I'm, I'll see you later. I'm just going to move on. No, is that really what they were doing? I mean, really, I mean, this is, I mean, and this is what's happened. We get this idea, miss, miss idea, that like, I'm just supposed to like go, preach the gospel on the street, and if they accept, we're good, and if they don't accept, not good. I'll see you later. I hope you, you hope you make it to heaven, you know? And we go off. Was that Paul's strategy? No. His whole strategy was to plant a church in a city, in homes, and those people who would come to Jesus would be salt and light to that area, to their family, to their city, to their business, to their co-workers, to whomever. And they would shine as light in darkness. They would be representatives of Jesus, ambassadors of heaven. Paul is writing to them in that vein. He's writing to, like what Clint said, everyone is called. Everyone's called to be a minister of reconciliation. Everyone's carrying the gospel. And he's saying to believers, walk in wisdom. You've got to have skill. In building relationship and in starting conversation and in being a witness to those around you. You need skill in this. Why is he saying that? Because this is how Paul envisioned the church. Paul's job was to get the church started and then he moved on. Right? And so what are we? We're the church in this area. We're not the only church, you know, praise God. But we are the church. Who are you? You are salt and light to those people around you. It, it, it's your calling, a huge part of it, the heart of it. And so the Apostle Paul said, man, you need some wisdom. See, I, I notice we don't really pursue wisdom unless we think it's a need, do we? Right? Right? We'll go to the finance class because it's like, well, either, you know, I, I got some debt, I need to get that fixed, or, you know, that's an issue in our marriage, or, you know, we find it as a need. I want to get better at this. We see it as a need. We pursue wisdom. We ask people advice when we think there's a need. Amen? We, we go, oh, yeah, we need to go to a marriage seminar because, you know, that, that's good. We need, to, we need to hone our marriage skills. We need to improve our marriage. Or, 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 you know, some people, they wait till it's falling apart and then they go. You know, you find that the people who have good marriages because they go out and they look for the wisdom, right? They go to the class. They go to this. A lot of people, like, hey, why aren't you going? You know what I'm saying? The wisdom mostly is in going to it. The people who don't go is because they either don't have, they don't think they have that need. Now, again, not to be corrective, but... In this series, do you see a need? You're not going to say, God, help me, teach me how to share the gospel, give me skills, unless you think it's a need, you know? 
And of course, I think in our church, we're very hungry and we're out there, we're going for it. And we're saying, Dave, give me some more skills. Give me some more ideas. Help me do this. I think that's how we are. So I'm not being corrective. But do you realize that, that you, you don't reach out for wisdom and say, someone teach me how to do this unless you actually think, man, I'm called to this and I need to be an effective minister of the gospel. And that is the heart that we need to have. We need to approach, you know, just in this next few weeks and, and really any time, we need to approach this and say, Lord, give me skill in this area. Teach me, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I, how do I get effective, you know, kind of like, like, like Clint's model? How, how do I do that? How do I engage people the way that Clint did that? And so that's really what we want to go, really, in this series, is that we want to say, how do you become effective? How do you start those conversations? How do you actually lead someone to Jesus? And do you know that you're called to this? And do you know you can do it? You can become effective? You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be, no, you don't have to be suave or know what to say. I mean, come on. I'm the junior hire. That, like, it took like six months for me to make friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not like the natural outgoing person. And I don't necessarily have like these natural skills of how to make friends with people. You know? It's taken me some time to figure that kind of stuff out as, as an adult. But because I've been motivated out of love, to know how to get into people's lives, I've looked for ways to build relationships and start conversations with people and have those kinds of dialogues and have those kinds of relationships that Clint described. I mean, it's interesting. Like, once I became a Christ follower in high school at age 16, it was like, you know, just kind of coming out of my mouth and people were drawn to me. I, I used to joke with people, you want to have friends? Just become a Christ follower, you know? I mean, like, literally people began to be attracted to me because I was real and because I had something that they were looking for. And I would be kind of weird at times. I'd say things and shock people, like Clint was saying, just throw them off. But people were drawn to me in a way that they never were when I was not a Christ follower. And why? Because Jesus, but also because I, I really cared. I was really wanting to reach out to people. And it actually, I learned, I began to learn how to be, not, I'm not necessarily outgoing, but I, learned, I began to learn how to reach out and build friendships and start conversations with people and, and do it in a natural way, not awkward and things like that. <clears throat> let me just I'll, let's end with this just give you one principle of how to get started with this there's a lot of different things that we'll talk about in terms of skills that you can learn and ideas that we'll give you but number one like I said this prerequisite is that you're motivated and that you're saying Lord use me you love people that's a big deal a lot of, it, a lot of the other stuff can flow but and obviously the, the other big one is that we would look with eyes of faith like I said it and see that people are ripe. And see that you're more ready than you know. You're more ready to start this than you know. But right here in Colossians 4, he says, earnestly pray. Continue earnestly in prayer. And then he, and he says with thanksgiving. And then he says in verse 3, meanwhile praying also. He's saying it's good for you to spend time every day in the Word, in prayer. With thanksgiving, praising the Lord. But he says, meanwhile, verse 3, don't just pray for yourself. Don't just pray for your own needs. Don't just say, hey, thank you, Lord. I'm so glad you're doing great things in my life. And don't just pray for those in your family. He says, reach out. Extend yourself beyond yourself in prayer. And he says in verse 3, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open a door to us. And the Apostle Paul will use this metaphor of an open door all the time and challenge us. And here he's praying, asking them to pray for himself. But in other places, he'll actually say, pray for an open door. 
You know the difference between people who have opportunities all the time and those who don't? It's prayer. Go figure, huh? And what does the Apostle Paul say to do? Pray for open doors. What does that mean? Opportunities. Pray for opportunities to share and to start conversations. Pray. It's basically pray for opportunities. Pray for open hearts. Open minds and open hearts. And pray for yourself to have an open mouth. Notice that he says, he says, uh, uh, pray for an open door for us for the word. And he says, to speak the mystery of Christ. Another place he'll say, to speak boldly as I ought. Every single day asking the Lord. Literally walk through your day. Lord, who might I run into today? Who might I run into? And begin to pray through your day. God, give me opportunities. Start praying for Bob. Start praying for those people and saying, Lord, open their hearts. I mean, obviously, the moment you start to pray, you're going to build up your faith. You're going to build up your uh, 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 boldness. And you're going to get ready. Just like if you were going to go... Uh, I, I used to play soccer all the time as a kid. And, uh, uh, you know, if you just stand there like this all the time, this ball's going to go right by you, right? We were taught... Always be running. Always on your toes. We were told you run the whole game. Not, not when we were in kindergarten, but you know what I'm saying? Like when we were in junior high and high school. You run the whole game. You've got to be on your toes. And that's the same way with personal evangelism. If you're not in prayer, you're not on your toes. You're just flat-footed. Well, I just really, you know, if God's will, if it's God's will, He'll just bring the opportunity. No, you're missing the opportunities because you're not on your toes, right? We've got to be in prayer saying, Lord, give me that opportunity. Because the moment we begin to pray for the opportunity, what happens? We have eyes of faith, like Jesus said. We're looking for the opportunity because we're praying, and we're more ready and more bold to actually go after it. But let me tell you something about prayer it doesn't just prepare your heart, it's not like a pregame warm up thing, just. Although it would be good. You know what I'm saying? Get yourself pumped up. Wake up in the morning. Start praising the Lord. Read your word. And ask God. Give me opportunity. Pray for the people in your life. They don't have to necessarily be believers. But Lord, I'm praying for these people that I might have an impact in their life. And, and ask God for opportunities. It's in that place. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you insight. Maybe give you a prophetic word or something. It's happened to me often. But, but not only does it prepare you, it prepares their hearts. Now, there's a spiritual battle going on out there, isn't there? Says the Bible says the God of this age is blinding people's minds. And when you pray, you bind that demonic spirit. You say, Lord, I just bind those lies that they're believing. I pray for their mind to be open to the truth. I pray for their heart to be receptive to me. I ask you for favor. And you're, you're literally, prayer is preparing the way. Preparing the way and opening hearts. Literally, spiritually speaking, breaking off demonic spirits. You bind those demonic spirits. You loose the truth of God. And you ask God, Father, I pray this. I'm, a lot of the phrases I'm giving you are biblical. Just, I ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to come upon them. Lord, reveal yourself to them. Speak to them, Lord God. And I literally pray my way into those opportunities. So much of what the conversations I have with people are like planned in my head. It, I call it planned spontaneity. It's like I have no agenda, but I do.